Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control your own body and get the health care everyone needs has been stolen. And now politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common sense policies that protect your right to control your own body and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, you can help reclaim your rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Here's an HIV pill dilemma for you. Picture the scene. There's a rooftop sunset with fairy lights and you're vibing with friends. You remember you've got to take your HIV pill. Important, yes, but the fun moment is gone. Did you know there's a long-acting treatment option available? So catch the sunset and keep the party going. Visit PillFreeHIV.com today to learn more. Brought to you by Vive Healthcare. Good morrow, my sister. <laughs> Hi. I'm Sam Sanders. I'm Saeed Jones. And I'm Zach Stafford, and you are listening to Vibe Check. This week, we're talking about the Tennessee Three, which are the three Democrats. Well, two were rejected, one wasn't, but we're going to get to what's going on in Nashville so you can better understand what happened and what it's also pointing towards over the next few years. And also, spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about succession. So... Giving you a moment, if you haven't seen this episode... If you haven't seen this yet or heard what happened yet, you're without a smartphone. You probably don't listen to the show. As someone who doesn't watch the show, (laughs) I will just say, it's the fourth season of a show called Succession. I I think... (laughs) Yeah, you can kind of surmise. I mean... What would happen in a show that begins about the succession of a family business? Hmm. There you go. Well, someone has died. And it made us all start thinking about TV and death and characters we've lost and why it hurts so much when it happens. So we're going to talk or about that. Or if it hurts. I'm or, like, yeah, on. some of them, thank God, <laughs> Mr. Big and Sex in the City. So we will get to that later. But before we go there, how are we feeling this week? How are we doing? Sam Sanders, how is she? Because I saw you Friday. You at a did. Party. So I've been thinking ever since that party I had in my backyard on Friday about how great it is to throw parties as a geriatric millennial. Okay. It was say more. wonderfully managed. What time did it start? I say come at six, we'll stay till whenever. Some people showed up at 545 with charcuterie boards because uh-huh. they had to get back to the kid. <laughs> no one drank too much. Nobody was too loud. Everybody brought good alcohol. Everybody mm-hmm. helped me clean up. Oh. I was not hung over the next morning. I was in bed by midnight. I think I had three or four separate conversations about the best Costco to go to. Was this it a was party or amazing. brunch? I loved it. It was a 7 okay. p.m. outdoor brunch. I like this great. lane of party. Because Sam of 
12 years ago was burning shit down. Yeah. And this is better. It was great. Mm-hmm. I walked in and felt peace. I saw people Aww. I actually wanted to see and catch up with. Like I had excited, excitable moments. I think, oh yeah. my God, I haven't seen you in a minute and had a real conversation. But the best part of it that I love the most and how you can tell it's a good adult party is that the wine wasn't cheap. It, it was, was a good, good wine. wine. It was good wine. And people brought good wine. Good wine. good wine. Oh my God. And, and it wasn't for them to drink themselves in a corner. It was to share with other <laughs> yeah. people. So it, it was, was like the yes. sign of adulthood is good wine. Yes. Let me tell you, I was at yoga the next morning at 8.30 in the morning. Wow. I'm never going back. Kegger who? <laughs> Rager Kegger? what? Were you doing keggers? Oh, uh, Sam in D.C. I was out <clears throat> in these streets. Oh, my god! I was out I'm in these streets. I'm so much about you. All this to say, my vibe is satisfied, okay. geriatric millennial. Fulfilled. 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 That's my vibe. Oh, so I like what's yours? Um, I'm feeling I'm feeling all right. You know, it was interesting. I I'm on Substack. I've had mm-hmm. a Substack for I don't know a couple years now. Lately, I often use it just to do um, little newsletters for Caesar because people mm-hmm. are always asking about him, and I'm like, here, you can just follow him <laughs> this way. Um, but over the weekend, they introduced beta testing for their alternative to Twitter. I don't know if they will call it. I don't know if legally they can call it an alternative to Twitter, but that's clearly what it is. Um, It's called Substack Notes. Now it's officially open. So if you have Substack, you can now, you can do it. It, It's very similar to Twitter in terms of how it looks and how it functions. Um, But over the weekend, I decided to send up what I call a test balloon, which is to mention whiteness and see how people respond to it. Because oh, you're one, brave. <laughs> one, it's factually true that yeah. I think the demographic, the user base of Substack is pretty white. Yes. It's pretty mm-hmm. white. So I simply posted on Substack notes, hey, you know, I know it's in the beta testing phase or whatever, so it's a, a limited pool of users, but they had an option where you could click and just see all of the beta testers in one timeline, if that makes sense. So imagine just being able to basically see all of Twitter on one timeline, you know? It was all white people. It was all white people. I would have to scan like 50 users to get to one black person um, or one person of color. And so I just posted, you know, wow, this user base is white, 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 male, white. It's all in one (laughs) word. And that's all, that's it. That's it. Because one, it's true. And two, I wanted to see how people, and whole man... Within two minutes, I don't know how many, like, quote-unquote followers I have on Substack. It's very different from my experience on Twitter. Mm -hmm. But it was incredible that within just the first couple of minutes, my replies are filling up with, like, so, and it's racist for you to, and this is race-baiting, and I mean, it was, and it just went on all weekend. I had white supremacists, or what I think they're white supremacists, you know, posting me to their users. It was very intense. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, so this is supposed to be the, quote-unquote, viable alternative to Twitter? That's not feeling so good. We have not, since the heyday of Facebook, had a platform that all kinds of people used across different income levels, class, and race. What is the app now that Toronto uses and your friends use? Like, it's... It doesn't yeah, exist. It doesn't exist. I think our relationship to social media platforms, we do understand it's the internet, but I think we all have like different images in our mind of our intended audience. Mm-hmm. And this kind of actual open, like you think you're speaking mm-hmm. at a dinner party and you're actually like blaring into a megaphone in the middle of the Super Bowl or something. Yeah. Like that is kind of how these messages travel now. And I Damn. don't know if I want that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is the thing about all these platforms, like what they need to become fully functional and viable and like worthwhile 
they need actual black people making right. content that resonates for black people. And that's the team. Yeah. Because that's the content that always yeah. makes it pop, you yeah. know? Yeah. If black people aren't there and thriving, then it's yeah. not thriving. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. Where they at? Yeah. Yeah. Where, they, where they at? Where they at, y'all? Are we now RuPaul and Michelle besides? <laughs> we are. <laughs> Anywho, Zach, what is your vibe? I mean, my vibe this week is kind of like, um, I would say the word perspective. So I was going to begin and up until last night by saying, you know, I watched the the show Beef, which is about road rage. Oh, I do want to I have like that. two episodes left. It is, is like, intense. It's very intense. So anyway, I was like, I've been having my own incidences in LA with like people just being so rude. Like the other day, this like traffic cop tried to give me a ticket when I pulled into valet. He was screaming at me by being like, you can't park there. Da, da, da. And I was like, it's, it's valet. valet. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? So things like that kept happening. People so aggressive, so aggressive. So I wanted to come on here and be like, Everyone's so mean to me. Woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. I'm always perfect. Everyone's so mean to me. But last night, I went cycling. I go cycling on Mondays. And while I was there, I was rude to someone on accident. So I, got, I was the person that people have been to me. So some guy was like trying to get in his locker and he was moving slow. And my locker was above his locker. And I was like, let me just jump. And I like, instead of just taking a breath, sitting down, let him get his stuff and then me get mine. You grabbed the door of the locker and you him slammed and was like, it into let his head. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that. I didn't do that. No, I walked up to him and was just like very, like I wasn't mean, but I was just very like, I need my things. And I was like, hey, I'm going to reach above you. As you get yours, I'm going to get mine. Which, you know, the door almost could hit right. him in his face. He was so upset with me. He said, I'm going as fast as I can. Uh, Calm down. Aww. And I felt so bad because then we went to class together and he was behind Ooh, me. No. And it was, I needed that. I needed that kick in the pants, honestly, because, you know, you don't know what people are going through. Sometimes right. we all need to take a breath. But wait, how did it work? Was class good? You, were y'all able class to kind great. of reconnect? And like, we, you know, my my little scared ass left at the end immediately when got my no, stuff. So no, no, you ran away. away. You ran I, away. My tail was in between my legs, but I have walked away from there saying to myself, Zach, breathe. Breathe when other people may be short with you. Like, just like, be, have more compassion in the world. My question for you, though, is like, you'll probably see him in the gym again. Do you plan at some point to say, hey, sorry about that day? Or do you want to just ignore it forever? You know, the good part of me is like, yes, I want to go up to him and say, listen, because he was pretty sure he was queer. He's a person of color. Like, we are like sisters in this. Like, I should I should say something. I, should I would say something. Build a bridge. Yeah. Well, before we get into the episode, we want to thank all of you who sent us fan mail, your emails, and reach out to us on social media. We absolutely love reading your messages. Keep them coming, of course, at vibecheck at stitcher.com. But for now, let's jump in, ladies. Let's do it. Let's go. All right, we're going to start this week with the Tennessee Three. I'm sure our listeners have been watching all of this. Three Democratic state representatives who represent Nashville, Knoxville, and Memphis were expelled from the state house in Tennessee. Their names are Justin Jones, Justin J. Pearson, and Gloria Johnson. These three Democratic state house members in Tennessee were protesting for gun control reform in the aftermath of a school shooting on March 27th in Nashville. During their protest, the three of them stopped floor proceedings by chanting no action, no peace on the House floor. After this happened, instead of coming together with their colleagues, the Republicans in that chamber compared the actions of those three to the January 6th insurrection. They said that what they did was a violation of House rules of decorum and procedure. By April 3rd, their ID badges 
didn't work to get him into the Capitol. They were stripped of their committee assignments. And then by the 6th, the two black guys were expelled by the GOP-controlled chamber. The one white woman was not. And even she said, this feels like a racial thing. Since their expulsion, Juan has been reinstated by his jurisdiction's municipal council. I want to talk about what this means, what it says about the GOP strategy as we head into a big election year. But first, I got to ask both of my sisters, what decade does this feel like? Because it felt like 1968 up in there last week. It was really weird. Yeah, it felt like that. But what's weird about it is that it feels like 1968, but with 2023 representation. You know, back in 68... We didn't have folks like Justin Jones and Justin Pearson in those seats. We didn't have Gloria Johnson, a woman, in those seats, especially in Tennessee. It was all white guys. So before it was, you know, black people were out in the street being activists, fighting, and there was white people in the chambers, you know, passing legislation. But now as we've seen, you know, the callback to Sally Jones, representation is a trap. We've seen them show up. You know, they represent the three blue areas of Tennessee, which are Knoxville, Mm -hmm. Nashville, and Memphis. And um, you see how they're treated by their Republican colleagues. And it just felt like the material reality that we've never seen solve these structural issues. We've just kind of like swept them under the rug and like use representation as bait to make us mm-hmm. think things are changing. But Tennessee has always been red and it's gotten redder even as Nashville has become this kind of like super nova of a city and people go there for bachelorettes and do all these things. It's like mm-hmm. in the wake of that or in the shadow of that, it's become MAGA land. And it's just really scary. And I think what we're seeing happen in the legislature in Nashville is just kind of a symptom of what's about to happen across the country very mm-hmm. quickly. Can I tell you, I think it was great. I think it was wonderful. I think this is a wonderful development. My heart is full of gratitude for those GOP lawmakers. Because, okay, first of all, in terms of material harm, right? What would have been great is if the Tennessee state lawmakers had decided to actually pass some legislation in favor of actual gun control. We know that was not going to happen, though, right? Mm -hmm. Um, One of the lawmakers (laughs) is already back. He didn't even miss a day of being on the floor of that lawmaking body. And instead, what has happened because of the way the GOP decided to essentially throw gasoline on what was already a fire. Because what what is yeah. significant, and I hope people have seen you know, the video footage and everything of what was taking place before it got to the point of the expulsion of these three lawmakers, mm-hmm. that state house was jam-packed with young people, with yep. families, with community yep. members from all over the state of Tennessee, just in every hallway, crevice, you know, throughway of that house, like just being like, we are furious. We are furious that you are not taking action against mass shooting and mass violence. And then the GOP decided to respond to that by expelling these three lawmakers who were doing something very reasonable. And as I believe it was, I think it was Justin Jones, it might have been Justin Pearson, pointed out during one of his floor speeches, there was a moment at which like an admitted child molester lawmaker was on the floor and was not expelled, right? There was a moment where in recent political history in the state of Tennessee, another Tennessee state lawmaker peed in the the chair of another lawmaker and was not expelled. And then these three are. So it's like, I think this is great because what they've done is draw such attention, scrutiny. They have galvanized everyone. If they thought people were angry before, there's so many more now. And as Sam has often pointed out, you know, we often focus so much on federal politics and federal elections and kind of don't pay attention to like, who's on mm-hmm. your state Supreme that Court? Part. Who's your state house or state Senate? Yeah. You know, I think this is going to pay off for us. And this is what was so fascinating to see last week on that last point you made, Saeed. 
while everyone's watching the non-circus that is a circus of Trump in court in New York, right. it's like, no, the real action is in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. The real mm-hmm. action is there at the state house. And I really do think that we're starting to see now where things are going to shake out the next time voters go to the polls. Yeah. Yep. In places like Tennessee, in places like Florida, you see Republicans in a desire to please their base with anti-trans laws or mm-hmm. with the refusal to actually consider gun control. You see them pushing too far no. and they're only right. making a fraction of America happy, yeah. but they're really pissing off the rest of us. Yeah. You had black kids and white kids and brown kids protesting for these three house members, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You had parents of all persuasions saying, no, you cannot check my child's private parts just before they play school baseball or football, right? We're seeing the GOP go so far and they're just giving Democrats video evidence that they'll rerun in campaign ads all next year. All next year. Over the weekend, I saw some GOP insiders, to your point, actually criticizing Tennessee GOP leaders, like, why would you do that? And one of them said, like, you are making enemies we didn't already have. And making the campaign ads. Mm -hmm. If you're a Democrat, you're going to run Justin Jones' speech over and over and over again. Like, I'm in the well now. Yeah. And it's it's not even just the campaign ads. It's just proving this point that is becoming very clear over the past few elections that Gen Z not only is turning out to vote, but they vote overwhelmingly liberal and democratic. And they're not shifting no matter what happens. And these school shootings, climate change, et cetera, are only radicalizing them more. And that's what was so scary, I think, to the legislative body in Tennessee, to see those kids show up in the tens of thousands, I think, and yelling at them. And these people were probably their grandchildren, their nieces and nephews. And that reality that they are going to go extinct potentially very soon, at least in the voting pool, and that they will no longer have this power, this feels like a power grab. And the other side of this is that, you know, through their really unprecedented actions, they're showing that, you know, a body of politicians can make major structural change if they so choose. So when these students see them making huge sweeping changes to drag, to education, to all these things. And they're saying, hey, I want to stay alive when I'm at school, even at my Christian school. And the GOP is not doing anything. I think it just, to your points, I chose like, oh, wow, these people really don't give a damn about you at all. And then this is what's even more galling when you see what GOP lawmakers in a place like Tennessee are doing. No one actually supports what they want to do. In every election where voters vote nationwide, there are more votes for Democrats Always in for the other party across the nation. And then you'll see once these GOP chambers take control through gerrymandering, they try to pass these things that like most Americans don't want at all. Most Americans don't want to ban drag. Most Americans want smart gun control. Most Americans do not want teachers to be involved in their children's private parts at school, you know? And so... On top of not even having the numbers to really win, you see the GOP going after things that actually only a small fraction of their base even wants. Right. And to that point, to open it up beyond the state of Tennessee, over the weekend, Genius, Tristan McMillan Cotton wrote a new column that I think is titled Why I Keep My Eyes on the South. And I just want to read one section that echoes what Sam is underscoring. I keep my eyes on the South because the Republican strategy of disenfranchisement is a state-by-state strategy. It looks like judicial rule where they cannot win. 
Where they cannot win by judicial rule, they will rule by procedural deft. Where they cannot persuade voters to vote for them, they will persuade the candidate they voted for to become one of them. This is a strategy that can be deployed in every state, but that can be deployed with the most exacting precision in states where racism already conditions the exclusion of non-white voters as inherently illegitimate. That's the big picture. It's so obvious. They don't have a winning message, so their only response is to quiet dissent. Mm. They don't have anything to say to these House members, so they kick them out, mm. you know? I will say, it's very interesting. They asked a few of these GOP House members in Tennessee whether or not the two Black guys being expelled and the white woman not being expelled was racialized and if mm. race had anything to do with it. They came out their mouths with all these excuses. Well, it's because she, she, the she survived were, her expulsion by like she just survived one the, vote. By right? one vote. Mm. And they said, well, it's because she had legal counsel on the floor or it's because she wasn't stoking up the crowd like those black guys were or mm. it's because she didn't do as much as they did. And it's like, we see it. Mm. No matter what yeah. you say, we yeah. see it. Yeah. Yeah. And the video evidence of this stuff is just not going to go away. All this stuff yeah. is on film, and we're going to keep seeing it. And yeah. I just to like also strike on that human part of what we see, and maybe what we're not looking at close enough is that you know these two black representatives, they were fighting for children in Tennessee schools, but they weren't just fighting for children in their districts. They're fighting for the state, and they're specifically responding to the shooting at Covenant Christian, which is in Green Hills, Tennessee. Green Hills is a place I grew up with my mom. I know the place very well. It's very wealthy, very white, very conservative. That school, I would bet, were all white Republican kids in there whose parents do not believe in gun reform, do not believe in these things. And to have two black men from not upper class communities in Tennessee and Green Hills fighting for those kids in ways that their their parents own representatives wouldn't fight for them is stunning. And I think that just shows to your point the humanity that is still in the Democratic Party, that we're willing to fight for people no matter who they are and their rights, inability to fight for people for who they are. So it's just kind of striking. And let me not use my comments in this conversation to act like I'm caping for the DNC. They got a lot of problems. They got a lot of problems. Well, but this I will is not say, the DNC, right? I exactly. Mean, that's part of why this is so different. Yeah. I will say it's like, as we move into this big election year, it's important to like not play favorites and not act like any politician can save us, but look and see who's doing what you want and who isn't. And it's like, it's pretty clear what the GOP wants for us and our bodies. And it's pretty clear what the other yeah. side does, you know? Yeah. I, yeah? And, and so that's why I said I'm genuinely grateful because I think... You know, in the state of Tennessee, for example, they the Republicans had a, a supermajority, and I think they just cost themselves a supermajority because I think yeah. many people who don't pay attention to state elections, who don't show up to vote on those election days, are now going to be like, "Oh, I'm I'm curious, like who's who's this Justin Pearson person? Who's this Justin mm-hmm. Jones? What happened with this glory? What? Huh? Oh, you know, and they're and already then, raising money. Uh-huh. They're and raising the, money. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. And so the moment people kind of find out like what's going on, you know, they get curious, they start asking questions, and I think so much of like local and state politics, a lot of corruption or what Tracy McMillan Cotton brilliantly calls procedural theft, that often happens because people aren't paying attention. There's not enough consensus of attention. And so I think we're going to see in Tennessee or North Carolina with what that politician just pulled, that stunt, I think it's a lot of people are going to go like, oh, okay, we're going to show up and vote so that you don't have super majorities or so that your lead is not so narrow, like in the state of North Carolina, where one shady politician can just totally take away all of our power. And I think in the long game, I hope this changes the balance of power, which I think leads to hopefully better legislation. Ooh, we pray. We haven't even touched upon 
the latest that's going on with the access to abortion. The drugs that people can use to have over-the-counter abortions, those are being banned state by state. And I think that's going to come back to haunt the GOP as well. Yeah. Anyway, more to talk about. We'll keep talking about it. I'm going to take a break right now. You're listening to Vibe Check. We'll be right back. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Hey there, Zach Stafford, co-host of Vibe Check. And something I heard really early on in my career was this phrase that has never left me. It is, you can't be what you can't see. And for me, that is so true. All of the Black people I got to grow up and watch on television, be journalists, and so much more, are the foundation to why I continue to have a media career. And that's the case for so, so many people. And if you're looking for the next generation of influential Black voices in media, you can find all of them on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back and we are going to switch gears to the television screen. So there's no way you haven't heard about this happening on Succession because the whole show is about someone dying and the kids, you know, succeeding them. And because of that, we want to make a bigger conversation happen around TV and death and the characters we love. But to get us going, let's just clarify what is happening on, in HBO land this week. So HBO show Succession, which is one of their most popular shows, has been the talk of the internet all week because the patriarch of the show, Logan Roy, dies in the latest episode. His death was not only such a big deal on HBO, but outlets like Vulture and the LA Times wrote obituaries that came out the next day. <laughs> the LA Times just doing like a, an obituary. Yeah. Also, let me tell you, as someone who works for Vulture and loves them, these people that I work with have lost their minds over success. Losing their minds. Losing, Losing their um, minds. There's not a it's, lot of nuance in the succession no, fandom. Like no. Television I mean, did not exist. Before succession, no one has ever no one has ever died on television until succession. No, no one it is will the beginning die. and the end. It's like if, as someone who doesn't watch the show, it's just like you know. I enjoy reading about it though. I enjoy yeah, reading it's it. a fun time. But to give you a little uh, like taste of how kind of uh, obsessed a lot of reporters and journalists are of the show, um, and I should say the showrunner was a journalist in the beginning. So I think there's like something subconsciously happening where we like love journalists that have TV shows. It's industry it's narcissism. It's industry narcissism. Oh, yeah. um, but here's a quote from the opening of the Vulture 
Culture article, it reads, Logan Roy, CEO, chairman, and founder of Waystar Royco, the glowing radioactive core of the American right-wing media machine, left this earth as he lived it at a high-speed climate be damned, hurtling toward yet another scheme to make billions of dollars. And that's the opening of the obituary and vulture. And as you can tell, Logan Roy is, you know, kind of a parody of the family that owns Fox News. Um, so He's Murdoch's, supposed to be Rupert Murdoch, right? Yeah. The Murdochs, Murdoch. yeah. Uh, I, I, just to pause on like the art of that episode. So I watched it late because I was out of town uh, with friends this weekend, but I watched it Monday they really had fun with that man's death in that they episode. They sure did. They drag it out. Mm-hmm. You don't quite know for a little bit if it's happening. You don't see or hear him. You see his bare chest yeah. for a second as he's mm-hmm. getting like decompression. Mm-hmm. And then you watch his kids refuse to believe it for Damn. an awkwardly, strangely long time. Yeah. It's good TV. It's, <laughs> it's I, good TV. What I was reading about it that I thought was interesting is that it's like, it's Jesse Armstrong, right? He, yeah, he removes a lot of the spectacle that we're used to seeing with TV deaths. Yes. The flashback, everything's yes. in slow motion, the, the drama of it. And I think for this character who's supposed to be larger than life and kind of a god of capitalism, to have kind of what amounts to a boring, banal, even just small death. Wow. Humbling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a friend of ours, a friend of the show, Luke Rogers, who's a film producer, said to me the next morning, you know, it was he loved it because it proved that no matter how rich you are, how powerful you are, right. you too will die on the shitter. And that's what happened to Logan Roy. Yes. And what's amazing technically, and then we're going to move on from Succession because there's much more interesting shows to talk about in death. So many more that, interesting shows. That ah, arguably <laughs> every other show is not <laughs> But what I will <laughs> give to the show is that on the technical front and why they will probably sweep the Emmys is for a lot of reasons this season, but this one episode is amazing amazing because it's a 27 minute long scene that they shot with two cameras on film in one take. So when you see him oh, die, wow. those actors are on a boat and they are acting it out like a play. And that's just one That was one scene. take. And that was just one take. And that's what makes it really raw and amazing. And hats off to them. At some point, we need to talk about HBO's obsession with like, we shot this on film. Because They're Sam Levinson did the Euphoria. same thing with Euphoria. And I'm kind of like, it's so expensive. Okay, girl, but anyway. <laughs> it just, yeah. yeah, it just sounds I, really expensive. Yeah. I will say what I love about Succession is the way it, these pivotal moments, the things you think they're going to focus on, mm-hmm. they focus on the other thing. Yeah. And that makes it even more poignant. Yeah. When a billionaire like Logan Roy dies, they could have a scene talking about how the stock market was reacting or not. They could have a scene about protesters going to his headquarters to protest this bad man who had died. They could talk about any number of things. Instead, for 15 minutes or more, the scene you live in is the kids Mm -hmm. away from their father talking themselves through stages of griefs as they make not peace with the fact, but conclude that he's actually dead. You hear them have to talk through real time whether he's dead or not. That's what Succession chose to focus on in that moment, and I think it was brilliant. And I think that like the acting from the character who plays Shiv was like some of the best things I've seen on screen in many, many years. She did the work in that. And I think, you know, to build a bridge out of this is that 
what Succession did is that it did elevate what we've seen as a, a common device in a lot of shows, especially when they want to get picked up for another season, um, which is kill a main character. Really drive it, make it viral, kill someone that you love. And and certainly to do it at the end of a season, and right? So that's like, well, it has to get renewed, yes. right? Exactly. That's the. But so this did. is the thing about Succession. We know that this is the last season, and we right. also know it was episode three of a ten episode season. So yeah. what of a show called Succession? Episodes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, all right. So to make Saeed happier, we're gonna expand the aperture here because TV deaths have been an ongoing thing in television, and we did through some research find out it hasn't always been this way. It began according to U.S. Weekly, which did a report on this this year about okay. this. The magazine. Of U.S. Weekly is still with us? U.S. Weekly is still with us, girl. <sighs> Boy, I, listen, Bless it. it makes Bless money. It. it makes money. Well, <laughs> they, according to them, the very first television death of a major character was back in 1975 on the hit show MASH, which I'm sure all of us have heard of or maybe seen on TV. And it involved the, the character Lieutenant Colonel Henry Blake after he gets honorably discharged from the Army and he dies by enemy fire. CBS, when they aired that, received thousands of hate mail, piece of hate mail with people irate that they killed a character because it had never been done. You know, you mm. expected these characters to live and it was a fantasy, et cetera, et cetera. After that happened, television changes course and soap operas begin using it as a device. It's on and on and on. And, you know, we're going to talk about some of our favorite moments, but some big ones that you may have forgotten in the past few years have been people like Puse Washington on Orange is the New Black. Devastating, which I can talk about. Hodar on Game of Thrones was kind of a breakout death among all the deaths on Game of Thrones. Ashtray and Euphoria, the young boy. And then famously, Dr. Shepard or Dr. McDreamy on Grey's Anatomy. That was kind of ground shaking in the 2000s when that happened. So death on TV is a new thing, and it's a thing that we've become really connected it, to. It's new, but it's not, right? Like, if we yes, think of MASH as the first time to have, like, a death of a character that we loved on TV. That was in the 70s, right? So, like, yeah. when I think about why then and why MASH, for me, everything before the TV that came out of Vietnam was, like, happy-go-lucky sitcoms. It was mm-hmm. the Dick Van Dyke show. And there was this moment of American history from, like, post-World War II until Vietnam where the image of America was just like, we're unstoppable, we're unbeatable, we're perfect, nuclear family, you know, all that shit. And it is kind of ironic, or almost fitting, I suppose, that the first real TV death would come out of a show about America's worst war, right? Yeah. So that's right. That wasn't showing that death. Trapped. It was exactly. like, here's a war, not showing yeah. death. But then it became yeah. a little too real for people. Yeah. <laughs> but is there a death that became too real for you that you really think about? I mean, I don't think that any of them were ever too real. I remember the first TV death that I actually thought about critically was J.R. Ewing in Dallas. My mother growing up was a really big Dallas fan. This was the juggernaut soap opera from the 70s and 80s, I believe. The finale of that show was up there with MASH as like the most viewed TV events ever. But the patriarch of this oil family, J.R. Ewing, was killed at the end of one season. I believe they have an entire season in which he's dead and gone. But they realize they need him in the show, so they bring him back and say that it was all a dream sequence. And I remember <laughs> thinking about, like, how the hell that could happen, my little 12-year-old self. But I loved it. Yeah. I don't know. Saeed, do you? I have tried with Succession, loath as I am to to bring it back to succession. I've tried to watch that show four different times over over the last years and I can't get into it, but maybe I'll watch just this episode because I am interested in disruptions, particularly for main characters. The way it plays out is so, 
Yeah, it, it, it's a spectacle. It's over dramatic. It's often melodramatic, and so I'm interested in moments that challenge that. And I think the fifth season of Buffy, episode yeah. sixteen. Uh, this episode aired in February two thousand one, which you know culturally is like several lifetimes ago from how you know kind of TV functions now. But the episode is called "The Body," and in that episode, Buffy comes home and finds that her mom is on the couch. She's not sure what's going on. And it turns out that her mom, Joyce, has died of natural causes. And like the first 16 minutes of the episode are just like in Buffy's living room. And if you consider what the show is, is you know, Buffy, the vampire slayer, it's action-packed, genre, da-da-da, crazy kooky, they're musical episodes. This episode is so calm, so moment to moment that like this is really just like oh now the ambulance is here now they're doing that now mm-hmm. that you know all of now the body's being wheeled away there's a moment that sticks with me where buffy realizes her mom's skirt has kind of come up a bit and she smooths it down and the episode is called the body because of course it's not joyce anymore it's not your mother mm-hmm. anymore it's just a body in the show that's literally about vampires and the mm-hmm. undead, it's so striking to to see suddenly just a very realistic depiction of death as this character, Buffy, I think it, it for me, it shows her moving from coming of age into like mm-hmm. adulthood. It's like, okay, now yeah. we're getting real. It was so striking. I've only been able to watch the episode once. I can't watch it again. Wow. Because uh, it's wow. so, and, it, and you know, I am not a Joss Whedon fan. He is a toxic asshole of a person. I But that episode, <laughs> wow. He really did something, I think. Yeah. Because the way you're, you both are right, Death on TV is so often used as a ratings gimmick. Um, what, what sweeps week, you know, mm-hmm. or trying to get renewed for another season. I think when a writer decides to go in a different direction, it really stays with you. Yeah. I mean, that's like even with the, uh, I mean, I made a joke about this on t- at the top of the show, but Mr. Big dying in um, the, sh- the the new Sex and City and just like that, it was at the very beginning of a right? show. That everyone was like, uh, is this going to be good? And it was And it wasn't. And it took out Peloton stock. <laughs> like it really, no. it like dealt it Oh, down, right, because he know, was doing Peloton earlier. He was doing episode. Peloton. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess, Saeed, I love, I mean, the reason why I wanted to talk about this today was because you do so much work around grief and writing and helping people think about grief. And I'd love to know what you think, because you're seeing this new era of death not just being used season three finale or as kind of like a way to go viral, but as a meditation, what do you think people can gain from seeing their favorite characters, losing them on, on TV? Um, To think of, you know, Succession and Buffy as, as, as I would say, productive creative examples mm-hmm. that are not feeding into our delusion. I think it's frankly helpful for people to see what the first few hours of death looks like. Mm. Like as a survivor, I think like 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 Sam said that the, the kids on the speakerphone kind of spinning. Is he the, dead or not? Is this is happening? Yeah. That's real. That is something exactly. that people go through. It's not just that these characters are delusional, craven people. It's that it is a difficult reality to wrap your mind around. Seeing moments of Buffy and the other characters, just like what's going on, what happens next, the way in which death, like the onset of it, it almost you almost can feel childlike. You're helpless. You don't mm. know what to do. You're not an expert on this and so suddenly you're like talking to you know the the people from the ambulance you're talking to like what do we do now you know um i think it can be helpful to just get insight into what it looks like what happens because it's going to happen to all of us it's going to happen to people we love if you love many people you're going to grieve many people and i think to kind of demystify that is valuable yeah well and what i really love so much about the death and succession this past weekend 
it takes all of the poetry out of it. A lot of times right. when we yeah. read about death or watch movies about uh-huh. death, it is romanticized. Yeah. Or you it's know? epic yeah. or dramatic. Yeah. It's and, not. And like, it's really. In actuality, yeah. where does the body go? Who's going to come uh-huh. get it? Is yeah. it really dead? We got to make a statement. Who's going to call who? I'll never forget when my dad died. Mm-hmm. The first three hours were not poetic grief. It was like, oh, who do I have to call? Right. Yeah. I got to call everybody. I yeah. got yeah. to find a phone number. I got to. Yeah. Like, that is the part of it that I think it was like, oh, this was a beautiful display of the reality mm-hmm. of it on this show about people I'm nothing at all like. Right. Yeah. I'm not like these rich folks on Succession. Uh-huh. But you know what? Even when someone dies in their family, they got to deal with logistics. Yeah. I, I remember my uncle and I kind of setting up in the dining room that was just, and no one else would go in there but us, but we just had legal pads, legal pads, I think mm-hmm. a computer. You're making spreadsheets. You're trying, you're kind of oh, like, yeah. oh, we've got to call this mm-hmm. person. Oh, we've got to call this person. And I just remember being like, it feels like planning a wedding. It, 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 yeah. it, and it's yep. just that, this big oh, yeah. life-changing milestone event, but in the moment, the day-to-day planning of it, it, it it's a drudgery. And it's yeah. not, it's not even necessarily sad in a way. It's interesting, the the work of the, the initial kind of preparing for the funeral, I think it's actually very healthy because it gives you specific tasks to focus on. And so, yeah, it's, you know, anything about grief that's just like real and shows people the many, many facets of how it can manifest, I think it's helpful so that if and when it happens to you, you're not just totally bowled over, mm. you know? Yeah. yeah. You got to watch this episode, Saeed. I will. It was okay. one of the you more, persuaded me. I'll watch it, this It was episode. one of the more real depictions of death that I've seen in a long time. And okay. you can watch it as a standalone. It feels like yeah. a play. Like it, yeah. it was written like a play. It feels like a play. It was shot like a play. So you could just step in. You're good to go. So, and that's for everyone. All right. With that, we're going to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with our recommendations of the week. Stay tuned. At Amica Insurance... We know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent. Being there day and night. And building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. All right, my loves, we are back. And before we end the show, we each like to share something that's helping us keep our vibes right or throwing us off this week. Um, Zach, do you want to get us started? I do. So I have a very Zach recommendation. <laughs> I would say the most Zach recommendation I can give you. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. I'm curious to see the self-awareness of what you define as a It's just Zach. I have a lot of self-awareness. Uh-huh. This is one thing. I thank God for therapy. Um, my recommendation this week is a cereal brand called Magic Spoon. Have you all heard of Magic Spoon? Have you seen the ads? I think I've I hear heard- the ads on Who Weekly. Or like they, what a day, yeah, yeah, they're everywhere. Okay, Chantel loves, loves Magic Spoon. Thank you, okay. thank you. Um, so Magic Spoon, I finally took the dive. I ordered every flavor, and I've spent the past week taste testing them so I could 
taste everything before I say. Because it's supposed to be like healthy yes, versions like healthier, of your childhood. And I hate saying healthier because it's like, what does healthy mean? Et cetera, et cetera. But this, this cereal is, is gluten-free. So if you don't eat gluten, great for you. You know, sometimes I don't eat gluten. It's sugar-free, <laughs> which is great. It is high protein. So it's like a protein bar cereal. And it's pretty like low cal compared to everything else. So it's a great place to get protein. If you okay. don't have like, if you're not having eggs, like you don't have time to make eggs, it has the same amount of protein as eggs. So that's why I really like it. Okay. It is Delicious! It Which is kind do you so eat? good. I have tried everyone, but the very best is there like flavor. like a cinnamon toast crunch one. There is a cinnamon one. It's called cinnamon bun. The very best one though is frosty, which is like Cheerios but a bit sweeter. It is delicious. And Chantel loves fruity and peanut butter. And peanut butter is so good if you mix it with the chocolate. So try it. It's like I think forty bucks. They're not paying for this. I love that being Chantel's first cameo. I love that. Was- <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's mine. Definitely try it. It's kind of like a guilt-free cereal, and it's great for like before bed if you're a little hungry. Just have a little bowl with some milk. Love it, love it. Okay, uh, Sam. I want to recommend an essay that friends and colleagues of mine referenced a lot, and that a listener actually linked to me after our last conversation about Twitter last week, Zach. It is called TikTok's Inshitification. And it is this story. <laughs> Say that again, please. TikTok's Inshitification. Okay. In- it's an essay by internet thinker Corey Doctoro, D-O-C-T-R-O-R-O-W. Okay. And he wrote this piece, and it's a theory that's been talked about a lot, but he writes about it the best. This idea that all social media apps have a lifeline and a timeline and a trajectory. He opens the essay with this sentence. Here is how platforms die. First, they are good to their users. Then they abuse their users to make things better for their business customers. Finally, they abuse those business customers to claw back all value for themselves. Then they die. This is happening to TikTok. It's happening to Twitter. It happens to all these social sites. And Corey makes a plane. It's called TikTok's Inshitification. It's great. I will tweet a link and we'll also include it in show notes. It's really good. That's all. Cool. I love that. The, yeah. life, the life cycle of an app. Yes, which that. is always bad. The life cycle yeah. is always bad. If it fun. starts good, it's going to end up bad. That's how it goes. <laughs> now, Saeed, what are you feeling this week? If you follow me on Twitter, you you might have seen I recently to to go out to LA for something for Vibe Check. Um, I had to endure yet again a Southwest Airlines flight. <laughs> but to get my vibe right, I was like, oh, let me be very practical. How do you navigate this like being stuck on a plane that you don't want to be on for more than four hours? Drugs. Um, so my recommendation this week <laughs> is a brand of edibles. <laughs> Called Smokies. She's trying to get sponsored. Listen, um, they're cannabis infused watermelon fruit chews. So it's like five milligrams? 9.24 milligrams. Oh, wow. Okay. Listen, so here's my thing this is what you do, friends. Before you get to the airport, you you nibble. For me, I don't want a whole edible, I don't want to be like losing myself. In a travel situation. So I just nibble literally just enough of the corner. First of all, they're delicious. So it's actually hard not to eat the whole edible. But you just take a little bit. And for me, I think uh, a great way to enjoy your flight is just to have a little bit of an edible. I found a jazz playlist on Spotify. So really, my, my, my vibe recommendation is a trio. This is what it is. You have a little bit of an edible. 
You have noise-canceling headphones, listening to jazz music, and I read a short story collection by Kelly Link, White Cat, Black Dog. Um, All the stories are based on fairy tales. They're all pretty surreal, which Uh when you're in a negatively surreal experience, which is to say flying Southwest Airlines, where, two examples, at one point, they asked everyone to close their damn windows and turn on their flight attendant call lights so they could wish someone happy birthday. I thought we were in a crisis. I'm like, why are we all closing our windows? Uh, And then they were like, can everyone write down your seat number on a dollar bill? And and then they collected it so that they could do a raffle for cocktail. It was was surreal. I just, this feels illegal. So it was really helpful for me to be stoned and be like, you know what? This is crazy. Let me go to a fun crazy. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I was just like mm-hmm. lightly stoned, reading my short stories. I would watch yeah. a movie of a Saeed Jones type person getting on a long flight and eating too many edibles and like not knowing what's real, what's not for the two hours. See, that's too much. It. And that's why I'm telling you not to eat too many edibles. Just enough. Just enough to kind of lighten the edges of your experience. You might... Take the edible at home and then get to the airport, realize your flight's delayed. That's true. Then you just I do up be playing, I do be playing it fast and loose. Hi. Fast and <laughs> loose. But what I find with these, and I recommend this brand because it's good. I've used it several times while traveling. And to Sam's point, it's never been an experience where I feel like out okay. of sorts or like okay. I can't you know, navigate getting to my gate or anything like that. I just want enough, like I'm an anxious person and when I'm anxious, I'm really cranky and that just makes things worse. And so I just find it kind of puts me in a state of mind where I'm like, okay, this is wild, but I can go with it. And I think that's yep. essential while surviving this flight situation, y'all, in this country. I, mm. it's, I'm, mm. it's it you can't right. buy your way out of it. You can't buy your way out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Anyway, that's my recommendation for the week. Um, listeners, what are y'all feeling or not feeling? What's your vibe? Check in with us at vibecheck at stitcher.com. Do you have like travel strategies for those of you who travel out? Maybe in particular, traveling for work is like a whole different thing. Because if you know you're going on vacation, you can kind of, you know, but if you're like, I'm leaving this to, I'm going from one place to another just for work and then I'm going right back home. I think it makes it even more difficult. So if you have travel recommendations, survive. Share with us, because I will do, and we could later, later this summer when everyone's traveling, a whole episode on like travel hacks or how mm-hmm. to get around. Because I, I tell you what, you those little airplane cranberry vodkas ain't cutting it anymore. They're not it. They're not Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Vibecheck. If you love the show and want to support us, please make sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast listening platform and tell a friend. And say, like, if you really cared about me, if you were a true ally, wow. you would wow. be listening to Vibecheck. Not That's the just ultimatum. There you go. We cannot be friends unless you also listen Hello? to Vibecheck. I thought you, you loved go. me. Curtis is supposed <laughs> to love me and listen to Vibecheck. That's how you do it. Mm-hmm. Huge thank you to our producer, Chantel Holder, engineer Brendan Burns, and Marcus Holm for our theme music and sound design. Also, special thanks to our executive producers, Nora Ritchie at Stitcher and Brandon Sharp from Agenda Management and Production. And as always, we want to hear from you. So don't forget, you can email us at vibecheck at stitcher.com. The one and only Sai Jones reads the emails first. I swear to you, he is the quickest to draw that I read them once a quarter. (laughs) I really enjoy them. And you can keep in touch with us on Instagram at adzacstaff, at the ferocity, and at Sam Sanders. Use the hashtag vibecheckpod wherever you can put a hashtag, which is Twitter, but, you know, Twitter's kind of over. And with that, stay tuned for another episode next Wednesday. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Stitcher. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. 